It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling. But when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine French-Cully, Editor-in-Chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us. Dear Highlights, my mom and dad have been separated for about a month. I have two guests. I get keys I wouldn't fault you listeners if you think that everything that could possibly be said about the pandemic has by now been said. But in this episode of Dear Highlights, we want to unpack some of the ways the pandemic has reshaped friendship for kids. Our podcast producer, Hilary Bates, is joining me in this conversation, and together we'll be talking to Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, parenting expert and child psychologist with a special interest in kids and friendship. I'm looking forward to hearing her observations. But first, we want to interject some kids' voices. So, Hillary, I think you and I agree that it's probably not too far-fetched to say that the pandemic and social distancing seems to have conspired against friendship. School, for example, is one of the prime places kids make and engage with friends, yet many second and third graders have not actually had what we would consider a normal school year, spending some or all of it in Zoom classrooms, or maybe they were homeschooled. Birthday parties and playdates were postponed. Kids were sometimes disappointed when parents discouraged them from seeing unvaccinated friends. We know that kids have felt lonely and anxious. And uncertainty about what school might look like, sometimes this uncertainty goes week to week, was especially prevalent. Kids wrote to highlights about so many pandemic frustrations, but chief among them was concern about their friendships. Reader Rose wrote us and she said, I have a problem. My mom keeps saying that after Christmas break, I will start in-person school. She seems excited about this, so I pretend I am excited, but I am not. All my friends started in-person school in September and I have felt left out. What if they don't even remember me? What if they have moved on? What should I do? Here's one from 10-year-old Molly in Virginia. She wrote, my mom is putting me back in the school I used to go to. I'm happy to see my friends again, but I'm worried that they do not remember me. Please help. Probably answered a couple of those letters yourself, Hillary, as I have. They're hard ones. They are hard, and they make me think about the kids living in my own house and the challenges that they have experienced coming in and out of isolation multiple times. I think every parent has some version of this worry, and every kid has some version of this worry. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, fortunately, we seem to be emerging from the worst of the pandemic. Uh, Most of us are feeling very hopeful again, even optimistic that we can learn to live more normally, whatever that means, (laughs) even if COVID doesn't completely go away. But experts say we may see the adverse effects of being socially isolated for many months to come. As we mentioned earlier, here to talk to us about how the pandemic has reshaped kids' friendships is parenting expert and child psychologist, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. 
Dr. Kennedy Moore, thank you for joining us again on our podcast. We're delighted to have you. My pleasure, Christine. So let's talk about kids and friendship during these um, unprecedented times. We know that social interaction is one of the primary ways kids learn. What are some of the important life skills kids learn from interacting with others? Oh, friendship is so important for kids and for all of us. Friends make the good times more fun and the hard times more bearable. And I think that's one of the reasons why the pandemic has been so hard on children and parents and all of us because we've been isolated. We've been separated from the ones we love. And usually that's how we get through the tough stuff is through the support of the people that we love. And the other thing that's really important about friendship is it's what pulls kids out of self-interest. So caring about a friend or just wanting to continue playing with a friend makes kids think, hmm, what do they want? So that's the foundation for the relationships that they're going to have throughout their lives. Yeah. Well, as the pandemic has dragged on, uh, researchers began to study the short and long-term effects of social distancing on children. What is that research telling us? The pandemic has meant very different things for different families. For some families, it's been about death or serious illness or job loss. For other families, the main strain has been isolation. And for other families with more resources, life has been relatively normal for kids. They've been able to go to school and at least have small pods of friends that they could get together with. So there's no across the board of this is what the pandemic means for everyone. On the other hand, we are seeing a lot of research about increases in mental health problems in children and teens. And that research is kind of alarming. We see big increases in anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicide. What schools are reporting is more disruptive behavior, more crying, um, more, more meanness. So the kids are struggling. Kids are definitely struggling. And I see this in my practice as well with just the volume of calls of people wanting to come in to see me as a psychologist. And they've called however many people they've called and they just can't get in anywhere. So it's really, really stressful. Mm. Well, I think you've touched on this a little bit already, but um, are there some signs that parents should watch for that may indicate that their kids need a little extra help? developing social skills or just kind of getting through this this period? Well, so we don't want to get too alarmed by the one-off, right? So friendships are hard. <laughs> Relationships are hard. In the best of times, they're exactly, hard. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it is normal for kids to have ups and downs in their relationships, to be mad at their friend, to be worried about how the friend reacted, to, um, to be upset about something that the friend did to them. And this is a healthy struggle. So, but if your child is feeling very down or very anxious and just having trouble doing normal functioning for two weeks or more, then we got to start being worried. But the ups and downs, just consider this your regular job of parenting. We, we want to reach first for empathy. It helps. Like just, just acknowledging someone's feelings 
really helps. Some of us have made a career out of this because it works. It works. And what I recommend for parents is something called reflection. And this just means you describe the feelings that you see. So you might say, um, a good formula is you're feeling blank because blank. So you're feeling annoyed because she said she was going to get together with you and then she canceled at the last minute. Or it's hard for you when your friend plays with somebody else. Or you wish you had more friends. Just acknowledge these feelings. And it's kind of magical because it takes kids' big feelings and it wraps them up in words, which makes them more understandable and therefore more manageable. And when you as a parent do it, it's like you're holding half the weight of those big feelings. Now, we parents tend to like to skip the feelings and go straight to the solution. The problem is kids won't let us. When kids don't feel heard, what happens? They get louder. So I I had a a situation once with, with a family I was working with. The parents were these lovely, gentle people, very thoughtful. And one day their son came home and said, I hate Stuart's guts. And I'm I'm changing names, of course, right? So the parents responded by saying something like, throughout history, dehumanization is what has led to atrocities. So I work in Princeton, that's why. (laughs) But this is true, right? Uh, But they were completely talking past the kid. And so the kid responded by saying, I want to kill Stuart. And these poor parents were horrified, thinking they're raising a future axe murder. But no, the principle is when kids don't feel heard, they get louder. So we can't skip that stage of just acknowledging their feelings. Start first with empathy. You can never go wrong by reaching first for empathy. Then, And you may have to make several empathic comments, but because what we're looking for is the softening. You'll see a softening in their face or in their body. They're not going to say, well, yes, mother, what an insightful observation. But you might get an, a grunt of acknowledgement or a yeah, or just see that softening. And then we can move on to problem solving. And what I suggest is to ask, so what do you think you might do? Or what could you do to, to help her feel better? depending on what the situation is, or what do you think you might do next time? And help the child guide them through thinking whatever this friendship rough spot is. When we're teaching our kids math, we don't say four. The answer is four. You know, (laughs) we say, well, where's the denominator and where's the numerator and what do you do here? And that's what allows kids to learn. And using that template you talked about um, gives kids language or or a label sometimes for the emotion they're feeling. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes kids don't know um, what to call that feeling they have. And their understanding of their own emotions is what allows them to understand and imagine someone else's feelings. What fuels the development of children's friendships from those love the one you're with friendships of the toddler years to the more intimate and lasting friendships of the teen years is a growing ability to understand someone else's perspective. So after we've acknowledged our kids' feelings, because of course we have to be on our kids' sides first, then we can say, why do you think he did that? Or how do you think she was feeling when that happened? 
And this is gradually opening their eyes to what somebody else might be experiencing. That empathy is, is really the foundation of everything. Empathy is what allows kids to reach out to new friends or old friends in kind ways. It allows them to, to speak up in kind ways rather than nasty ways. Um, it allows them to recognize when they've gone too far and really need to stop and step back. It allows them to join the fun of a group and get in sync there. And empathy also allows kids to forgive friends for those unavoidable mistakes that we all make. So technology has become an increasing part of kids' friendships. And I think in the last two years, parents have gone through a real journey. I remember a couple years ago, a friend said to me that her she was really worried because her son wanted to text his friends all night. And she would say, why don't you guys actually get together? You, I could drive you to a movie. You could go somewhere. And he'd say, no, I just want to do this. And to her, that seemed like a con- concerning. But then during the pandemic technology felt like it was here to rescue us, some of our kids, from social isolation. And it was a way to connect them. I know my own daughter um, and her cousin FaceTimed almost every night drawing together. And it was like the one time she got to spend time with someone her own age during the day for some of that time. Um, So I think a lot of us have been having that shift. As we continue into the future, technology is going to be a big part of kids' friendships, regardless of what the pandemic situation is. How should we be thinking about how technology intervenes in kids' friendships? Is it a help? Is it a hindrance? Both. It's both. So what the research tells us is that for the vast majority of kids, technology supports and supplements their their in-person friendships. And it was absolutely a lifesaver during the pandemic. That being said, though, what works then doesn't have to continue now if it's not working. So as a parent, you can absolutely reset. So texting is the most stripped down form of communication. Think about that. There's no vocal tone. There's no facial expression. There's no body language. So the opportunity for misunderstanding is huge. One thing that you might want to try with your child is have them say the word hello in different tones of voice. So it could be an angry tone. It could be a scared tone. It could be a a curious or a laughing tone. You don't get any of that from hello on a text. So be careful about the misunderstandings. This is also an opportunity to teach kids about giving friends the benefit of the the doubt. One thing that has come up a lot, especially during the pandemic, but all the time, is what if a friend doesn't respond? And what do we do then? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't bombard the friend like a one-sided snowball fight, (laughs) you know, just throwing them, answer, answer, why aren't you answering? Because that's annoying. So send it out. Maybe in a couple of hours, you could try again. But if they don't do that to the second one, give it a couple of days. So, but this is really hard for kids to do. And we might help them to think, to do what I call the maybe game. This is a great game to play whenever a friend does something that we don't like. 
Research tells us that children and adults who are prone to anger tend to assume, oh, they're doing it out of deliberate meanness. Kids and adults who are prone to rejection sensitivity are also like, ah, this means they don't like me. But we can play the maybe game to think of other possibilities of why they didn't respond, other than they're trying to make me suffer and they hate me. Um, <laughs> probably not, right? So maybe they were busy with something with their family. Maybe they forgot to plug in their phone or their iPad and it's out of charge. Maybe they're just not that good at responding to messages in general. It has nothing to do with us or now. It's just generally they're not so good at that. Maybe they got in trouble and their parents took their devices. So there are a whole lot of reasons that don't have to do with those bad explanations or those hurtful explanations. Seems like a lot of those techniques apply to kids in their face-to-face -face interactions with kids too. Exactly, exactly. The maybe game is really important. Um, getting along with people is hard. There was one, one study that um, preschool and elementary friends average three conflicts an hour. <laughs> so <laughs> conflict is normal and it's, and it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, you talked about parents um, taking this moment to kind of reset and, and rethinking uh, the role of technology in our kids' lives now that we're emerging from what we hope was the worst of the pandemic uh, is one way to reset. Um, and everybody's feeling hopeful again and families are trying to be, I think, intentional, more intentional about returning to um, more FaceTime with real people. <laughs> What else might parents do to help their kids uh, make up for some of the lost time, lost opportunities related to making friends um, in real time? So I think that that's probably not a good way to frame it because we okay. can't make up for what has passed. You know, it's passed, it's gone. You know, that train has left the station. Okay, that's helpful. What we can do is focus on how do we want to move forward? And even this lifting of the pandemic means different things for, for different families. I have a, a family now where the child has upper respiratory challenges that have brought him to the ER. So everybody's saying, oh, Omicron's no big deal. It goes to the upper respiratory um, area, not the lungs. And my client is like, ah. Um, so this, it means different things for different families. Different families have, have different risk tolerance for what they find. But I do think that we want to find ways for kids to see each other in person. I don't know if it's pheromones or you know just the, the body heat, but it just feels good to see people in person. And there are skills that kids learn only in person that they can't really learn online. And just the sense of intimacy and immediacy is different. So think creatively about what is tolerable for, what is doable for your family in terms of getting together. The other thing that I would strongly recommend is think hard now about summer camp. Kids and parents need something to look forward to. And we, this is our third round, right, of the summer. We know that the rates are better in the summer. It's time to get these kids out there 
like my, my kids used to go to this farm camp. I don't even know what they do, but they, they came home filthy and they just loved it. So something that's device-free for kids to remember what that's like, that can be a good reset. Um, being around other kids, doing fun things. Kids make friends by doing fun things together. So let's be thinking about what are the fun things that your child enjoys that can be done with other children. Um, for I, I am worried, honestly, about families and children because this has been really, really hard. They have forgotten a lot <laughs> because they haven't had to do it as much um, over the past couple of years. So this is a time, I like what you said about resetting. Yeah, this is a reset and let's figure out how we want to move forward. One-on-one -on -one play dates are probably the single best thing that parents can do to help deepen their child's friendships. So they just get to concentrate on each other. One tip that I have is, you know, at the beginning of a play date, there's that awkward moment where one kid says, I don't know, what do you want to do? And the other one says, I don't know, what do you want to do? So we can get past that by prepping your child. As soon as the guest arrives, offer two options. Do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Do you want to play Legos or do you want to go outside? And that gets it faster to the part where they're having fun together. That's so, yeah. Hillary and I talk sometimes about how we feel our own social skills are a little rusty. So I know it must also be true for children. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really appreciate that you have mentioned that the pandemic is not the same experience for everyone. And something I've been really aware of during this time is like that patient that you mentioned, there are families who are have someone immune compromised in their household or another or another reason why this pandemic might feel over for some people but for others it's not and some families do still reasonably need to make a choice of some level of social isolation what can the rest of us do as a community to support the social needs of families that are in that situation I think mostly it comes down to empathy. So I've heard a lot of parents saying, I'm so done with the pandemic. I hear you, <laughs> I'm with you. And at the same time, at the back of our mind, we know there could be another variant. Um, and there are families who are still very much at risk. So empathy is what we need to do. We need to be respectful if they say, I need you to wear a mask if you come to my house, then do it with good grace and say, of course, I'm happy to do that for you. Um, to just be mindful about that not everybody's experience is the same and lead with kindness. This is good for ourselves, for our society, but it's also really important for our children. We can't teach kindness without modeling it. Our society right now is so divided and so heated and we have to find ways to move forward together to recognize and try to imagine why somebody might have a different opinion or a different approach than I do and to really try to be respectful of that while at the same time doing what I need to do for my family. All we can do is try to be kind. 
That's a good segue to our last question. And in fact, maybe you've already answered it. Um, we've asked a lot from kids during this global pandemic. And we think they've mostly delivered. If our reader mail is any indication, kids have tried valiantly to rise to the occasion, sometimes better than adults have. Uh, they've coped with school disruptions and they wear masks with compliance or with little complaint. Um, they've worked hard to find ways to stay productively busy and to stay positive. You know, it highlights our core belief is that children are the world's most important people. And if we believe that, what more could we do as a society right now to help children through this transition, through this resetting period? I believe so profoundly that after keeping our kids alive, our next most important responsibility as parents is to teach them how to be in relationships. So we do this all the time in our interactions with them on a day-to-day -day basis, but we also do that by bringing them together with friends. So this, this is so important, This because parents often feel very helpless when their kids are struggling with friendship things because we can't like pick up the other kid and make them do, you know, make them like our kid. But there is a lot that we can do. We can create the opportunity for them to be with friends. We can guide them when they have those rough spots after we've em empathized with them. And the third thing is to really push for empathy and kindness, to help the kids imagine someone else's perspective to encourage them to respond in kind ways. For instance, when kids are in an argument with a friend, oh, it's so tempting to try to get even with the friend or to tell everybody else what a rotten person that friend is. And we as parents can say, slow down. Let's think about this. Would you want it if somebody did that to you? Or why is it that that person might have done that? And we can also urge forgiveness. That's part of the empathy. We're going to make mistakes in our relationships. I have a, a book for kids called Growing Friendships, which is a kid's guide to making and keeping friends. And one of the things that we talk about in it is forgiveness guidelines. So if the situation happened more than a month ago, let it go. If it wasn't deliberate, let it go. If the person is genuinely sorry, let it go. If it's never likely to happen again, let it go. We show kindness for the friend when we let go of their mistakes, and we also show kindness for ourselves by letting go of that bitterness and resentment. Well, you said so much in that one sentence that after keeping our kids alive, a parent's primary job is to help kids develop and grow in relationships. So thank you, Dr. Kennedy Moore, for your time today. You've offered us so much uh, to think about. It was really helpful. My pleasure. You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book, Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hilary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher.